Welcome to the Sleep Junkies podcast. My name's Jeff Mann, and we cover the whole conversation on sleep. So this is the second part of the Great Sleep Tracker debate. And as a reminder, I'm talking with Jesse Kirk, a sleep researcher from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And he's one of the few scientists out there who's actually done real-world, rigorous scientific validation of quite a few of these consumer sleep tracking wearables. And so we're going to carry on the conversation and take a look at some of the problems and dilemmas that are preventing these sleep tracking wearables from being taken more seriously by scientists and researchers and clinicians. And a lot of these points are taken from a brand new review that came out last month. We're going to talk about how these devices are essentially black boxes and the algorithms are proprietary, which makes it really difficult for researchers to really interrogate the data, the reliability of these devices, and the issues around how do you actually scientifically validate these consumer wearables. And we're also going to talk about how the manufacturers' claims and the marketing claims actually stack up to the scientific validation studies that have been done on a few of these devices. So we're going to talk about a few specific models um, from the Fitbit range, for example, how these models actually stacked up against the gold standard of measuring sleep, polysomnography. And just to provide some takeaways, we're also going to give a few broad tips and outlines for any of the general public, any consumers out there who are thinking about getting a sleep tracker, but they're not really sure which model to buy, how much money to spend, and just kind of give some common sense tips for anyone who wants to purchase one of these sleep trackers. So enough of the introduction, let's get on with part two. I just want to talk about some of these dilemmas and just outline them. These are like the the problems that need to be solved if we're going to have a situation where consumers are able to buy a device to monitor their sleep and be confident what it's telling them is actually what it's doing. But also from the research side and medicine are able to rely on these devices as well and have some kind of structure and framework where they're not guessing. So some of the problems are there's no standards for validating these for, you know, for designing studies. So briefly, you know, how do we start to tackle that situation? Yeah, that one's, that one's challenging. You know, uh, we, we've talked about this quite a bit and, and as we've jumped around, you know, one of the main problems that arises here that is even as a isolated researcher doing prudent effective research i'm usually evaluating a device that's been on the market for multiple years so in the best sense these things have been available without any sort of information backing them um, for multiple years so staying on that horizon of technological evolution is seemingly impossible uh, and we've talked about earlier about uh, a relationship between manufacturer and researcher and the production of agnostic results in that regard. But as far as actually having systematic standardization, but the review does outline a very thorough approach in how these devices need to be evaluated. Uh, and then it becomes, I think, an impetus for maybe having like an approval label of some sort that says 
this device went through the appropriate testing under the parameters outlined by such and such. And that could, you know, similar to like a non-GMO product or, a, you know, FDA approved in some aspects. But I think that would be useful in at least providing some comfort uh, in the estimations that it's producing. Um, who would you suggest comes up with that? Because big business and you know, the way the, the world works in general, a lot of countries are anti-regulation and, and, you know, and there's a valid argument to say that regulation slows down innovation, all that kind of stuff. But if we do have something like non-GMO, you know, we need an external body mm-hmm. to provide that rubber stamp. So would, would that be, you know, something like the AASM, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, or one, one of these bodies, who, who would, or something, you know, on a higher level above that? Where would you think that would come from? Yeah, I think that's a great uh, starting point, at least jumping off point, is at least getting them, um, having, first of all, the AASM adopt the standardization procedure because one does not exist one is not outlined for actigraphy either so it, that's a that's an issue a whole separate issue but for them to adopt uh, a validation approach and then yeah uh, having them have a stamp or approval or, or another governing body that's on the same tier as them that's related to sleep in that regard yeah so we need we need uh, some kind of framework, some kind of infrastructure for regulation and validation. And as you said, Jesse, um, the review, it does flesh out a sort of a step-by-step process to how we might start achieving that. And we'll put all the links on the website. Maybe the biggest problem in terms of a technical nature is this idea of these consumer devices as, as black boxes. Mm you know, a bit like the Google algorithm on the Facebook algorithm. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows how it works. And again, the review talks a lot about this and a few different aspects. You don't have access to the raw data. So with an actigraph, you can basically look at the, the raw data that's coming off of the sensor. And then there are algorithms which, which have been validated scientifically. But with these consumer devices, you're seeing what the consumer sees. Maybe you'll, you'll get a, sp- a spreadsheet if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. But I think you told me at one point you were literally <laughs> having to graphically pull data from a, a graph or a screenshot and somehow, you know, put that into your study. I mean, that, that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it was an extremely cumbersome process. Uh, thankfully, at the tail end of it, I, I did adopt uh, and train some some very talented undergraduate research assistants to, to move that <laughs> ball for me. Um, but yeah, that's that's a huge challenge right now and, uh, and a barrier for implementation. And you know we've we've talked about this already. I understand as a researcher their desire to keep their proprietary information secret, as it is a consumer market. It is in their in their best interest to produce a product that cannot be mirrored by other corporations and manufacturers. And as such, revealing what that product actually does would inhibit their growth as a company. But at the same time, if we have no idea what's going on, how can we trust uh, and how can we truly interpret the dynamics of the output? And at the same time, uh, I've actually had it happen to me where data that I acquired a year ago was inaccessible through their online platform. So now you start raising concerns about stability of data. If they make an algorithmic modification that they don't alert people on, 
and it changes the data. Um, how does that fit into research and clinical domains? Uh, that that's that's a whole another point of complication, but it, it ties into this mm. whole just lack of understanding of what's going on. It's not helpful. Yeah, it's it's in fact it's completely obstructive to the whole point of what you're doing as a scientist and trying to present objective data. As you say, you may go back to a device and you know they've done a firmware update or whatever and the results you'd get will be completely different absolutely and you would have no way of knowing yeah and did my did my sleep change that night no exactly so so what actually happened um exactly and, and where in the algorithm schema did they modify and didn't improve or not improve their congruency with psg these are these are important questions and uh at this time we just have an inability to assess that yeah and I mean, if it was a piece of technology like, um, I don't know, a, a, a calendar or a scheduling app or something that you use in your daily life, but it's just it's just an app, that's fine. Update the algorithms, right. we're fine. But if people are using something like this to monitor their sleep and trying to make life decisions based on it, this is people's health. It's their well-being, yeah. So so say, Jeff, I'm you know tracking my sleep and I'm starting to notice that uh, my device keeps telling me that I'm waking up 20 times during the night for a total of two and a half hours across the entire night. And so I'm eventually prompted. I decide to go see my primary care physician and I present to them these data. And then as I go see my primary care physician, the data actually changes. And I'm now only waking up five to seven times a night for an hour. I mean that, that because they've improved their algorithm. Yeah, or they've adjusted it in some fashion. So I mean that that yeah. that makes the complexity of interpretation just astronomical um, and yeah. and unresolvable. Yeah. So maybe the biggest sort of nut to crack mm -hmm. this this idea that you know in business you have competitors, you have to have a competitive edge. You don't want to give away your trade secrets. So all of these big companies in sleep tech have proprietary algorithms and they're all black boxes. No really easy answer to that. Is no, there? absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the main benefits of these devices is their ability to provide real-time feedback, right? You know, somebody wears the device, it syncs to their phone or computer and they can see real-time information, which is super cool. Whereas if I gave them an actigraph, uh, they would have to bring it back to the laboratory. We would download it. We would process it, and then we could give them some feedback. So a much more cumbersome process in that regard. The problem that comes into play here is when we start utilizing these cloud-based platforms, we start now bringing confidentiality issues as well. Uh, how secure mm -hmm. are these databases? Um, how protected are they? And then they can say over and over again that they meet certain standards and so on. But that's certainly something that at least leaves an uneasy feeling if if it's truly going to be utilized for clinical purposes or, or there are there other aspects as well. I haven't really considered that in this conversation, but yeah, that whole idea, if there is going to be some kind of crossover between, you know, consumer sleep technology and and medicine and research, it's like who owns the data? Mm -hmm. You know, how does the data get anonymized? Where does it where's the data reside? So that's a that's another big one, and that's just that's not just unique to sleep. Obviously, that's that's a, a on the forefront of uh, 
all of this health technology revolution that's going on right now. Yeah, that's massive, massive. Um, reliability as well. Another thing they talk about in the in the report was it one of your studies yeah. where, where you lost? Yeah, significant portions of data in, in just about every investigation I've ran. Um, you know, whether it be ten to twenty percent of my participants' data was inaccessible. Um, nothing changed in our process on our end as far as. Uh, how we apply the device, how we synchronize the device, how we try to extract the data. Uh, but for some reason or another, the device malfunctioned. And that was similarly uh, problematic for, I believe, um, Meltzer, Elisa Meltzer's team experienced something similar in that regard. And uh, Max's team, uh, the Days and Body SRI International Group, has also experienced data loss in that regard. And that must be so frustrating. Yeah, and uh, when you're on a strict budget, uh, provided by grant funding, that also is an issue as far as I, I don't want to recruit more right. more participants. Just throw it in the bin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a bit dismissive there. Um, <laughs> right. So we've got all these obstacles, but the fact is, you know, at this point in time, and certainly five years and 10 years in the future, there's no doubt that this sleep tech is going to be so much better and it's going to be super, super useful absolutely, to consumers, but also to researchers as well. So, you know, we need to find a way for industry and, and science to kind of put their heads together and find some way of, you know, coming together. You know, absolutely. And I would, I've been very careful in using any sort of uh, manufacturer name explicitly uh, for a myriad of reasons, but I will say that I've had direct contact uh, with with many of these uh, manufacturers at very at past sleep conferences uh, over the the digital technology that's available, and and most uh, at least endorse similar sentiments that we've expressed today. They they want congruency, they want alignment with the scientific and medical field, uh, and they want transparency, but it just hasn't unfolded yet. So. You know, as you mm. said, this is this is an, a field. This is an area that in ten years it, it's not going to look anything like it is right now, and that's just the way our society, from a technological standpoint, is evolving. Um, and you know, soon with Elon Musk, we're going to have a chip in the back of our brain, anyways, that'll probably track our sleep. So uh, it, it, it'll completely <laughs> change in that dynamic. So I, I I think at this time, it's a really challenged field. Uh, but I think I have, I have the utmost confidence that in the coming years, it'll be resolved in a very appropriate manner. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, it, it, we're just at a bit of a, a, a you know, a, a, a junction in the road at the moment. People have to decide which way to go. But bottom line is, it's going to be good for business, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. If you get a rubber stamp of approval. Absolutely. So in that sense... You know, it's it's in the interest of these companies to to work this out with the the scientific and the medical community. What, one other thing about these dilemmas that I was describing, um, sleep disorders as well. Mm. That's a whole yeah. <laughs> that's a whole different kettle of fish as well, isn't it? Because if people are buying these devices to find out if they do have a, a physical problem with their sleep rather than a, an anxiety related problem, then 
where does the responsibility lie with the the manufacturer? You always see a disclaimer somewhere say this isn't a medically approved device. Well, the interesting thing is that it's it's not always explicitly clear from these companies what their true purpose and utility is. Uh, for instance, one company um, had two different settings for their product, uh, a normal and a sensitive mode. And on their actual help page, it was a, explicitly laid out that it said people with, I'm paraphrasing now, I guess, in some aspects, but people with sleep disorders should utilize the sensitive setting. And first right. of all, what sleep disorder? <laughs> sleep disorders yeah. are, are vastly yeah. different across the board. And, and two, when I evaluated the sensitive setting, it underestimated total sleep time by two hours. And, and so it was right. kind of just this blind um consideration or endorsement for their product that has vast negative implications for the individual. Uh, And and so we in the research and medical community really just want them to kind of characterize their product as a a sleep estimation tool, uh, a sleep tracker and and not a measurement device. And it may seem trivial in the nomenclature, uh, but just clarifying that to the consumer is really important that it's not a surrogate for uh, in-lab testing, and that if you have any concerns over your sleep, that you should go to your primary care physician and maybe triage to a sleep professional in that regard. And and most of the companies are getting on board with that, but it, it needs to be explicitly laid out in that fashion. There's a variety of sleep disorders. For instance, I tend to study people who fall into this categorization of central disorders of hypersomnolence, hypersomnolence being excessive mm. daytime sleepiness. Uh, so individuals, persons with narcolepsy fall into that category. Um, yeah. And within narcolepsy, you have those who have cataplexy and those who don't have cataplexy, uh, meaning that their muscles give out on them voluntarily um, and things of that nature uh, involuntarily. But you, you have your, your general insomnia. And some people believe that there's primary insomnia, which is more physiological and neurophysiological versus environmental insomnia, which is more based on how you manage your stress, how your sleep environment's set up. Uh, are you appropriately handling sleep hygiene? You have just a myriad of different disorders, sleep apnea, the various levels yeah. of sleep apnea. These devices currently provide a very, very, very limited lens into sleep apnea. You could look at your number of awakenings mm-hmm. during the night and try and extrapolate that to well, I'm waking up 60 times during the night. There's probably something going on there, but they're not assessing breathing or or oxygen saturation in any fashion. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting space, that one. I've seen in the last year or so quite a few different wearables come onto the market measuring oxygen saturation and obviously going for that sleep apnea detection, Mm -hmm. even though they're not medical devices. But that's that's a whole separate conversation, not for today. I want to move on <laughs> and i'm going to read out some manufacturers claims i'm not going to mention the manufacturer and then what i'd like jesse is for you to hear some of these claims and then mention some of the studies 
And again, you don't have to mention the actual devices themselves because we're not trying to make any specific judgments and say this device is great, this device is bad. And just see how the claims match up to the peer-reviewed science that you've done. So first, I'm going to just read these out really quickly. I've got one, two, three, I've got six things. And I found all of these you know, these aren't buried in blog posts or whatever. The, the, these are actually on the, the home pages of these websites. So one of them says the most accurate sleep tracking next to clinical sleep measures. One of them says it's the most accurate sleep and activity tracker. One of them says a degree of precision comparable to that of laboratory. Another one says access to information previously only accessible in a sleep lab. Another one says built for hospital-grade accuracy. Another one says, monitor up to two sleepers at once with pinpoint accuracy. Okay. Now, in your experience, you've studied a lot of these devices. Do any of these claims sound vaguely like any of the results that have come out of your test? Uh, <laughs> in some aspects, yes, Jeff, to, to be honest. The word comparable is a useful one when considering consumer sleep trackers and actigraphy um, when it comes to their estimations of total sleep time. So it's really important to think about what the accuracy pertains to because accuracy could relate to its ability to detect the amount of sleep somebody's getting versus the type of sleep that somebody's getting. And as we kind of mentioned earlier, these devices seem really poor currently or limited in their ability to actually categorize sleep across the different stages. Uh, but for my research, yeah. these devices have improved to a point where their estimations of sleep duration, uh, you know, that 500 minutes or 420 minutes, whatever is output on the phone or the desktop that the individual sees, is comparable to that of clinical actigraphs uh, from the data that right. I've produced and, and seen across other literature. Just to pause you there very briefly, these are obviously, they, they've thought about these descriptions here, but for me, when I see something like degree of precision comparable to that of a laboratory, I'm thinking um, a sleep lab, somebody wired up right. for PSG or a most accurate sleep tracking next to clinical sleep measures. I'm thinking what's the most accurate is PSG, right? Is PSG, but they're probably not hinting at that. They're probably hinting at next to actigraphy. So to me, I find these, these claims problematic. They're very much hyperbolic, right? And that's, that's their intention yeah. is to attract the consumer. Um, these devices still will overestimate total sleep time and will bias relative to PSG. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're bad or useless, as we've discussed. Hmm. Uh, but again, yep. they, you're absolutely right that there's, there's a degree of fabrication in their very poetic description of their device trying to entice the consumer. And it's amazing when you read through these, and as, as you showed, each company says that they're the most accurate product. Well, yeah, that's quite interesting, isn't it? How is that possible? Because they've all got the best device. Yeah, <laughs> How, you know, um, from my understanding, unless I'm completely amiss, the devices are different. Um, so some, they can't all be the most accurate. 
you know, this is the argument for, for regulation and people people like the FDA and having kite marks here and CE marks in, in Europe. Um, but again, some people would argue that's anti-competitive. And potentially limiting, right? Like has the so, yeah. boom that we've seen in, in technology due to the fact that it's not being regulated at this time. Exactly. Whereas if, you know, a, a governing body came out and said, we fully endorse this product for the sleep estimations, then... Do the other exactly. companies fall by the wayside and we don't get any sort of competitive growth in that sense, which I think is what you were trying to hint at. Yeah, there's no easy solution here because we can't have a situation where everyone's claiming they've got the best sleep tracker, but at the same time, we can't have overburdensome regulation just slowing the innovation down. So uh, I actually, I'm going to read out a few of these models because I, I'm going to put links to all these papers on the website as well. Mm-hmm. So some of these devices that you've measured they've actually been through clinical validation the fitbits couple of them the fitbit flex the fitbit alter hr the jawbone up three the aura ring another fitbit the fitbit charge two all of these have been studied in the lab properly can you just encapsulate the sort of broad spectrum that they've they've fallen with regards to accuracy and you know measuring up to the gold standard and and actigraphy as well Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a couple of those devices you mentioned are are kind of the older models. Uh, And so if you're utilizing those, uh, you're going to want to be skeptical of any of the outputs that they're producing. Uh, But some of the newer models are getting really good at estimating sleep duration. Um, So if you're buying a device that has been recently produced and manufactured from one of these corporations, I think you can put a reasonable amount of confidence in the total sleep time estimations it's producing. One thing that's important to clarify though, Jeff, is that even in our kind of rigorous validation structure, we're validating within a specific sample of individuals. Uh, So a lot of times that may be an adolescent group versus an adult group. That may be quote unquote healthy sleepers versus disordered population. And so it's truly unclear whether findings from a study that I perform that's in a disordered population would translate one-to-one to to a healthy population. Right, right. So although a device has been quote-unquote evaluated, it was evaluated in a very specific circumstance. For instance, um, you potentially might get different results between using for adults and using for kids. Absolutely. You know, kids are more likely to move around during the night. And we mentioned earlier that these devices have a lot of issues, uh, their estimations become much more inaccurate when there's more movement. Uh, And so that's a a major challenge when considering the results that we produce in science. Yeah. So you're saying that the newer models with regards to total sleep time, they're getting pretty good. For total sleep time, they're getting pretty good. When it comes to the other components, um, whether it be the uh, REM sleep classification or your deep sleep cast classification, those outputs I would take with a grain of salt. Um, again, some of the research that I produce has highlighted a range of, of 30% to 60% ability of these devices to Uh, correctly identify REM sleep. Mm. So that's something you're really interested in. Um, I would monitor it through these devices, but I wouldn't 
it, it, I wouldn't think of it as like a liturgical output in that sense. Yeah. Are we ever going to get there with these movement and heart rate based devices in your, in your opinion with regards to sleep staging? That's a great question, <laughs> Jeff. And one that I think about a lot. And, uh, if you, you looked at my uh, PubMed search history, you'd see Bluetooth EEG, uh, single sensor, uh, typed in a lot into my search history. Um, I think the technology's there. I think the ability for somebody to manufacture an electrode that a consumer can put on their forehead in a specific location and it can detect wavelengths of brain activity during sleep, which then gets Bluetooth synced to your device. I think it's there. Hmm. Um, And it's probably going to be the intent of a manufacturer that pushes us past this this uh, necessity and, and makes it actually implementable. I don't see a research team doing it. Right. Um, but I do foresee that in the future, the staging limitations will not be completely removed or reduced um, or washed, if you will. But I think they'll be markedly improved for sure. I, you know, I, I'm... I love technology as well. So, you know, I hope at some point there's going to be something like that. You know, I'm not for technology for technology's sake, but just technology that's going to have lots of practical uses, um, whether it's in health or research. Some people using this stuff, biofeedback and meditation. Yeah, there's a lot of companies out there nowadays that are utilizing EEG headbands of some sort Mm. and purporting that these devices are detecting alpha rhythms or assisting in augmenting alpha rhythms or, or whatever it may be. So it seems the technology seems available. Yeah. It's just translating it for the purposes of sleep tracking at this point. Okay. So you've seen in your studies and, and the, the body of work, it's quite limited, but there are a few of these devices that have been validated. You've seen them improve over the years. So it, there's no doubt they're getting better and better. Mm-hmm. Something I want to touch on briefly as well, a company called Sleep Score, and, but they're very much doing a commercial version of a validation system and rubber stamping sleep products based on their validation techniques. How do you think these kind of things fit in? Yeah, um, well, I think first and foremost, I, I'd like to stress that we really encourage individuals taking an interest in their sleep uh, in any form, whether it's just jotting down thoughts about sleep or actually creating a diary where they monitor their sleep in that fashion to these apps. Most individuals tend to um, have better sleep because they're now taking an interest in it and holding themselves accountable. So I think all that's great when it comes to these like systems that tell you how quality your sleep was, how rested you are, uh, how likely you are to perform optimally today. Um, I get a bit squeamish because I want the individual to be able to assess their existence on their own and not be dependent upon a data point telling them how they're supposed to feel. So I can see a scenario where somebody Uh, looks at their output from one of these applications and it says that they're at 80 out of 100 on their overall score, whatever that means. And in truth, they actually may have gotten an appropriate amount of sleep and they feel really good. 
And if they hadn't actually looked at that score, they would have felt that they were at 100. Um, and they may be at 100 or they may be at 80. You know, that's a complication. But I don't want people to base their subjective experience, uh, which is what really matters in a lot of ways, um, solely off of these unvalidated uh, techniques and, and scores. And I think that's happening more and more these days, that people's well-beings are being derived, uh, their state of existence is being derived by a technological score that is largely unsubstantiated. Just to try and round this off, but I just want to try and give people a couple of takeaways. You know, people who are listening to this, you know, probably interested in sleep tracking so and they, and they hear all, all these negative or complicated points they think oh god what now yeah <laughs> what, what do i do now <laughs> yeah. but you know there are lots of good products out there and there's stuff that's getting better all the time so what would you say just broad advice for somebody who's considering you know getting something to to start measuring their sleep and i like your use of the the term sleep estimation device as opposed to something that measures you know objectively your sleep yeah I'm so overwhelmed by the sheer volume of models available. Um, you know, it's, it's seemingly an unnavigatable terrain when trying to figure out which sleep tracker to buy. And you type in Google best sleep tracker 2019. And even within that, there's still 20 recommendations, right? Yep. And those um, may or may not have merit to them, but that still defeats or kind of gets away from the point that, you know, as humans, we have this challenge when we have a ton of options it's called the paradox of choice, right? The more options we get, the worse we get at making a decision. Yeah. And this falls right into this this issue with the, the sleep trackers. I think it, it relates really well. And so I think the first thing you have to do if you're thinking about purchasing one of these products is think about its purpose in your life and who you are as an individual. If you're an individual that just wants something that they can wear on their wrist, that measures steps, that can give you some heart rate feedback, and has the ability to produce some estimations of sleep time, and maybe even classify your sleep across stages, then you could be looking at getting one of the low-end devices that are $30 to $50 and feel pretty comfortable in what it's producing relative to the more expensive products. It doesn't have to be one of the more name-brand products. Uh, you may get better technological support, uh, IT support, if you do go with one of the more name brand products. Uh, so that may be advantageous in that regard. Uh, but starting there, and then as you get more kind of thorough in your use, if you're a training triathlete, uh, if you do have some medical concerns and you want better, more reliable, more frequent estimations of heart rate monitoring while you're exercising or while you're going through your day to day, then doing some homework and, and typing in the Google machine um, the specific characteristics you're looking for, whether it be the ability to swim with the device or the ability to not have to charge the device for 20 plus days. Uh, many of these devices only have a battery life of five to seven days. If you're someone who doesn't want to have to continually charge your device, maybe you should opt for one that has a longer battery life, but doesn't have all the bells and whistles that the five to seven days device has. If you're a triathlete or, or, or looking for fitness, then maybe you want to prioritize a device that 
has been evaluated for its uh, movement tracking abilities and heart rate sensing um, and GPS capabilities that are additional components to the sleep tracking. Uh, because in a lot of ways, these devices aren't that unique in their abilities to track sleep. There are, in my understanding, utilizing relatively similar technologies as their underpinnings. And again, as we pointed out, I have no idea what their algorithms are doing, hmm. uh, so I can't make any comments there. So it really comes down to the individual. There's no panacea uh, of the devices, meaning that there is no device that performs the best across every single domain of activity tracking, heart rate tracking, sleep tracking. And so figuring out what is the most important characteristic for you, how much you're willing to spend, and what having a name brand linked to your device means for your comfort level. If it makes you, quote unquote, sleep better at night, knowing that you have one of these main manufacturer products, then do that. But if you're perfectly comfortable using one of the more knockoff, low expensive, uh, not necessarily lower grade products, and it doesn't disrupt your sleep in that fashion, uh, I say do that as well. So it really just comes down to, to being comprehensive with what you want to utilize the device for. And you, I know you wanted to mention as well this whole idea of sleep tracker induced anxiety, <laughs> this term orthosomnia. You know, the, the last thing that we want to do as sleep researchers and uh, individuals in the, the medical field of sleep is cause worse sleep, right? Our goal is to have everyone sleep optimally. And it definitely occurs in some individuals where having more information complicates things and actually causes problems. Uh, the orthosomnia terminology has become a topic and it actually was a seminar at the sleep conference last year and it, it definitely pertains to a certain subset of individuals, specifically those who uh, have a propensity for elevated clinically significant levels of anxiety. And so if you're one of those individuals who may be susceptible to having these data negatively, maladaptively influence your sleep quality, then that's something you need to be honest about with yourself as well. And then maybe just don't do it. Maybe mm. not have one of the sleep trackers. Yeah. Or the other option is to address that component of your life and, and potentially seek help in developing novel cognitive techniques to uh, help ameliorate those issues. But that's that's an entirely different topic and one that I'm, I'm not an expert in. Yeah. Uh, but that that's a, a big thing. But as I mentioned earlier, and uh, you know, it's really important to point out, we tend to see that any for most individuals who monitor their sleep in some fashion, their sleep improves. So I, that's that's a stamp of approval there. Yeah, um, somebody who actually takes the act of, of expressing a, an active interest in their sleep, that in itself is going to have, hopefully going to have some positive impacts. Yeah, for the most part it should. Yeah, so maybe, unless you're one of these people who thinks they might be worrying more, uh, if you're one of those people, then maybe don't buy a sleep tracker. <laughs> Yeah, if you're going to define yourself based on an output of a device that may or may not be truly uh, reliable and accurate, uh, then then the sleep tracker may not be the best thing. If I guess if you're going to critically evaluate yourself, um, then maybe a sleep tracker is not the best uh, decision for you to utilize. Yeah. Um, but but 
again, most individuals don't fall into that camp and they, they tend to be pretty useful in at least um, maintaining or improving sleep schedule consistency. That's a big one we see uh, people going to bed at, at similar times and rising at similar times rather than having spontaneity in their, in their sleep patterns. And, and then, you know, recognizing what characteristics associate with better quality sleep for you. You know, as you mentioned earlier, Jeff, you know, a couple beers doesn't doesn't improve our sleep quality. Um, you know, maybe the fact that I wasn't on my computer for the hours leading into bed. Well, oh, man, my sleep score was better. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Um, and just being your own scientist in a way and, and comprehensive evaluating mm. your life in the context of not just the output of this device, but how you actually feel as well. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Awesome, Jesse. Um do you mind if I put you on the spot slightly? <laughs> uh, with, with trepidation, I, I say yes or no. I'm, I'm comfortable, I guess. <laughs> We've covered an awful lot of ground in this conversation. And I just wondered, because I really think this is really important, um, both for consumers and business community, but also for, for science and for medicine. Um would you be in any way be able to encapsulate, you know, the main overriding message from this review, which we're sort of basing a lot of these conversations on today, and also from from your experience? Sure, I will. I will do my best, uh, Jeff, in that regard. Um, so, the ability to objectively measure somebody's sleep in their natural environment is really powerful and useful. Uh, bringing someone into the lab is just not practical. It costs a ton of money. It costs a lot of time. It can be an artificial setting. We've touched upon those types of things. Actigraphy actigraphs have existed as the medium utilized to facilitate this need for many decades. Recently, wearable consumer technology has provided another means, another medium, another lens that's much more affordable and is extremely prominent in our public to facilitate the objective, quote unquote, measurement or estimation of sleep in a natural environment. At this time, though, uh, these devices, although improving from earlier generations when they advanced from single sensor to multi-sensory, are still limited in their abilities to truly and comprehensively estimate sleep. They have demonstrated the ability to produce estimations of sleep duration, so your total sleep time in a night, that are comparable to clinical actigraphs. However, these estimations are still not congruent with our gold standard polysomnography meaning that they're still biased in some fashion. They're typically overestimating total sleep time. Additionally, their ability to classify sleep, so the light sleep, the deep sleep, the REM sleep that's output by the device, seemingly is, is much less accurate than their total sleep time estimations. So although it's useful and, and very powerful to see that information, uh, there needs to be at least a pause or hesitation in digesting that information at this time. Um, currently, there are some major barriers 
specifically around the proprietary nature of the devices, their algorithms, the raw data that truly complicate the integration of these devices and the progression of these devices for clinical and research purposes. However, uh, myself, researchers, our governing bodies in the sleep field, they are all encouraged by the prospects of these devices going forward. Their ability to acquire large data sets is extremely unique. Again, they're very advantageous with their real-time feedback, their affordability, um, the sleekness and design, their ever-evolving uh, technology and growth. These are all very advantageous characteristics. And we just ultimately, as researchers, want the best products to be available and described in the most appropriate and transparent ways. Uh, ultimately, we see this happening in the coming years, and, and we're very encouraged by the horizon. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for that. Um, I hope that covered everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, like you, I'm optimistic. You know, people being able to take control of their lives, expressing an interest in their sleep and their health. If there's companies out there who want to get into this space and want to push the boundaries, business and commerce is always going to move faster than science. So the two just have to come to a point where they meet. Hopefully we've contributed to this conversation, snowballing into to something that, uh, you know, a, a better outcome in the future. Yeah, we've, we've put the, the sheets on the bed or something <laughs> of that nature yeah. uh, to hopefully produce the best quality sleep for society. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Jesse. I'll let you get on with the rest of your day. And um, maybe we can, uh, when we've recovered from this conversation, we can, uh, <laughs> we can revisit some of these topics at a later date. Absolutely, Jeff. Uh, I, I really appreciate you having me on. This has been a true joy and uh, it's, it's a, a very important uh, area to dissect at this time. It's very challenging and, and I appreciate you giving uh, me the time and the opportunity to discuss this with you. Pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the Sleep Junkies podcast. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. If you've got any comments or thoughts or ideas or any contributions, feel free to leave your comments on the website. You can also hit us up on social media, Sleep Junkies. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those places. Don't forget to subscribe as well for lots of similar content like this. So that's it for today. Hope to see you on the next episode. Sleep well. <laughs>